All right. Welcome, everybody, to New Philly Busan. I hope you guys have been blessed. Um, you know, uh, I've been going through this sermon series on Ephesians, and, you know, I, I've, I've read chapter 1 about, like, like, 60 times in the last, I would say, month. Um, and it has blessed me immensely. And so I don't know if you guys understand that, that the Word of God is living and active, right? It's not just, it's not just a bunch of words. It's not just a book, but it's the actual Word of God. And no matter how many times I've read it, it's like, like, I, I feel like every time I read it, there's like another sermon that's birthed out of like one word, right? And I literally wanted to just preach on hope today. Um, and, and I was really tempted to do so, but if I did, the sermon series would last like a year. Um, John Piper did a sermon series on Romans over the course of three years. And, uh, you know, I feel like, I feel like that. And so as I read this, chapter over and over and over again and i want to encourage you guys to do it you know like like follow along with us and just continue to read these chapters over and over again um and it's really been bringing so much revelation and insight into the word of god um and we've been looking at the beginning of the passage that joshua just read uh, ephesians 1 15 through 23 uh and paul he prays for the saints at ephesus and he prays in a way where he's not praying for their circumstances He's not praying about, like, the struggles that they're going through. He's not, you know, about what they need or what they lack or, like, you know, Lord, protect them or give them good health. But what he prays for is that they will know God, right? Wisdom and revelation, right? A spirit within them, this this disposition and attitude, right? right? Like, the Holy Spirit at work in us will cause our spirit to come alive, right? That's what happens. When Holy Spirit came and, and decided to live in us, you know what happened? Our, our, our dead spirit, that before we knew God, our spirit was dead. Our spirit came alive. So you guys all have a spirit. You guys have the Holy Spirit, but you guys also have your human spirit. Right? I told you last week, it's what separates us from dogs, right, and animals, right? So we have a soul. And that spirit, right, Paul is praying that. I, I, he prays that you will have a spirit that is like, that, us, that is yearning and crying out for it. wisdom and revelation. Not just any kind of wisdom and revelation, but a wisdom and revelation in knowing God, to know more about Him, to desire, to 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 for Him to reveal more of Himself. You know, and and as I was writing the sermons, I just asked myself, is this the desire of your heart, Caleb Lee? You know, for God to really reveal more of Himself to you today. And sometimes I do, and there's times where I feel like, man. God, I want, to, I want you to reveal more of me. And then God does. He starts to reveal, not just in the Word of God. You know, God, as you read the Word of God, God reveals Himself. But He reveals Himself through like relationships. He reveals Himself through like songs that you hear, right? And, I, and I'm just, just like, like I, I, God kind of like blows me away, right? Of Him showing Himself to me. Right? And then there are times when our desire for God wanes. Right? We've all experienced it to some degree. No one's perfect. Anybody in here perfect? Is anybody perfect? There's only one person that's perfect. His name is John Michael. Just kidding. I always thought he was perfect. I was like, but you know what happened? I actually forgot my Bible because I was packing for a trip. We're going on a trip with the Kims tonight. And so I was packing my bag, and then I forgot my Bible. And so I was looking around the church. I was like, oh, there needs to be a spare Bible. And I found one, right? I opened it up. And you know whose it is? John Michael's. <laughs> and homeboy did not call me. No, I'm just kidding. Uh, he, he left it behind, so we gotta get. It. Can you remind me to give this to you, okay, so that you guys hand it off to him? 
Um, but, I, but no one's perfect except Jesus, right? Jesus is the only one that's perfect. And Jesus is actually constantly like wanting to, to give us his grace. Not just his saving grace, but his empowering grace. A grace for us to live our lives like, like for him. And, and a grace that helps us to walk with him. But you see, we live in an imperfect world and we're imperfect beings. And we stumble, we struggle. You know, we may not go off and live a life of sin. There are times where we get distracted. There are times where our hearts turn a little hard. There are times where we are more concerned about the things of the world than the things of God. And Paul here is telling us and he's showing us and he's demonstrating to us that this is not out of our control. But it's something that we can pray into. A spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of God. He's like, this is how I pray for you. And this is also the way that you can pray for yourself. You can pray that, like, God, help me to want to know more of you. A desire in us to want to know more of his wisdom. A desire in us to want to know more of his revelation. It's not about, I want to know you more. It's about, Lord, help me to want to know you more. There's a difference there. Because this is the thing, right? If you want to know God, He will show you more of Himself. If you want to know more, He definitely will show you more. And you definitely will know more. Because God tells us, He's like, you don't, you don't have because you don't ask. Right? He says that He's always knocking on the door. He says, it says that, you know, wisdom, the Bible says that, like, if you ask for wisdom, He will give it to you. Like, like freely. No, like he's, he's, we don't have a stingy God, right? Is our God stingy? No. He's not stingy. He wants to reveal more of himself, right? He's like, if you, if you want, if you desire wisdom, ask and he will give it to you freely. But you know what? The way that wisdom is described in Proverbs and in the Bible is that we have to want wisdom like what? Like, like silver and gold. Like, it has to be more important to us than like even money or finance or anything. We have to really have a hunger. For the wisdom of God. How much, like, it says, how much better to get wisdom than gold to understanding, to get understanding is to be chosen rather than silver and gold, right? This is, this is like the kind of desire that we need to have for wisdom, right? But if we have this desire, if we really want to know more, God will show us more. God will reveal more of Himself to us. So it's not so much about knowing more about God and the things of God. It's how much we really truly want to know God. And it's about our hearts. God says that he looks at our hearts. And he deals with our hearts. It doesn't matter what we, what kind of show we put out on the outside. I could be like, hey, let's go Bible study. Let's do this. Let's do that. But God really looks at our heart. And God is saying, hey, do you really want to know me? Because if you really do, I'm going to show you. I'm going to reveal myself to you. This is what Paul's praying for. He's like, I will, I pray, Ephesians, that you will have a disposition within you that always wants to know more of God. And it's something that we can continue to pray for ourselves. It's the, it's the way that Paul prays for the saints. Basically, for us to have a spirit that wants to know God more. Cool. Wendy, maybe we, we need to turn that, face it a little. Can you face it like, no, the other way. No, yeah, like that. Because we can't muster up spirituality, right? It's like we can't like muster up like wanting to know God, right? I tried that before. It doesn't work. It, it, it doesn't, but we could pray for it. 
we can pray for it, and we can we can seek God. Right? We can we can we can say, God, I, I want to feel this because I know that if once once like this desire is there, that you you will truly show yourself and reveal yourself to me. And we can pray to God for help. We can pray to God for His grace. We can pray that Holy Spirit in us will start to really come alive to the point where there is a desire, a genuine desire for us to know more about God. I've said this before in one of my sermons, but it's like the wilderness. People talk about their wilderness seasons, right? How many of you guys have gone through wilderness seasons, right? But the wilderness season, right? Say, imagine that you're in the wilderness, right? You're, have you, who's ever been lost in the wilderness? Anybody here? Okay, if you're lost in the wilderness, right, what are you going to do? Are you going to just like crawl up into a ball and just, just die? No, you're going what to, what's the first thing you're going to do? The hell, right? That's what I would do. I remember when I was, was that kid, I got lost in this like department store. I couldn't find my mom. The first thing I did, I was like, oh, I screamed. And then like four moms came up to me and they're like, you're not my mom, right? I want my mom. And then all of a sudden she came out of the grave. was like, the boy we shot, right? But we cry out to God. We're like, God, help us, right? And we become like Bear Grylls. Who knows Bear Grylls, right? This good-looking dude, right? He can, he can like, he, all he needs is like a paper clip. And he can survive in the wilderness, right? And like, I will stab this lizard with this paper clip, eat it, and then use the bones to make like a fire starter. I don't know. But we do whatever it takes for us to what survive in the wilderness, right? And that's what the wilderness season is supposed to be. It's not this place where we can just become complacent and just like, ah, but really, the wilderness season is when we don't feel it, we cry out to God, say, God, I want to feel you. And I, and I want to give you a little tip. If you find yourself in this place of when your desire for God is waning, as you pray to God for help and you want, you want to know Him more, right? As you pray to God, you're like, God, I want to, I, I want you to help me to feel in my heart to want you more, right? And as you pray this prayer, even when you're not feeling it, right? You ain't feeling it. And you got, we've all been there, right? We're like, I ain't feeling it right now. And what you do is, as you pray, this is a tip I want to give you. Choose God. Look for opportunities to choose God. Because we all think that that our relationship with God is that I chose God when I was saved, right? You know, when I was in the third grade, I went up in this altar call, I cried, snot came out, I said the sinner's prayer, and I became a Christian. I chose God. Yes, you chose God, right? But then choosing God is something that happens every day of our life. We have to choose God every day. doesn't mean that if we don't choose God, we're not going to be saved. But then in order for us to know God, we have to be obedient to Him every day. And the more that we obey, the more that we will understand and know Him, right? We, we know, like Ethan, Ethan knows me because, what, He listens to me and He follows me, right? And, and in the same way, the way that we can know God, even though we are not feeling it in our hearts and in our spirit, we choose God. We choose, like, things that we do in our lives. It's like, you know what? That dude is annoying me. And, and he, yes, he really is annoying me. He turned off that fan. I'm just kidding. <laughs> and, and I've had a hard day, and I could just, you know, just whatever. But you know what? I'm going to choose to reach out in love. I'm going to choose this moment 
to do what, what Jesus commanded me to do, right? Choose mo- like Look for moments to choose God. Because God, in those moments, he's going to start to speak to you. He's going to start to reveal himself to you. Right? This happens for me where I, I'm, I'm just in a funk. And, you know, and, and there have been times where I've been in this funk, and, and the first person I take it out on is Mina. I'm like, but you didn't do this. Blah, 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 blah. And I, I get, I become really loud, and Mina says, like, oh, it's not what you say, it's how you say it, right? Why? It's true, right? It's not what you say, it's how you say it, right? And then, and then but there will be moments where, like, like I'm in this place of like, like just like you know, like I'm just really just like got this frustration and anger, and then God will say, "Choose me," and I'd be like, "No, I don't want to choose you. I just won't be in my flesh. I just be like, ah, you know." And then I'll be like, "No, I'll compose myself and I say, no, I'm gonna choose God, even if it's just for this one moment. I choose God, and then you know what? God reveals His love to me through those moments where I obey Him. Right? It's it's this desire in our hearts to know more of God." And the more we choose God, God's going to give you that heart of flesh. Now, he says that he will remove that heart of stone and will give you a heart of flesh. And in that moment, as we choose God and we, and we, we follow him, he will, he will turn our heart into a heart, heart of flesh. And we will start to have a desire to want to know him more. That's not in my sermon. That's just kind of going off of what I preached last week. And uh, it... it it's, because it's all one, one, one long run-on sentence, right? Verse 15 through 23, it's just one long run-on sentence that Paul talks about. And so it kind of goes together, what I talked about last week and this week. And now I want to move more into this passage that we read today. And today I want to focus on what the revelation is. Because Paul is talking about, I pray that you will have a spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of God, right? That, you will, that we will... Have this desire. Our hearts are enlightened. The eyes of our hearts, like, like God wants to show us something. And today I want to talk about what that really is. What is it that God wants for us? What is it that God, like, wants to reveal to us? As we truly have a desire to know more of Him, what are the things that God truly wants us to know and understand? So let's, I'll read that to you again. Having, this is verse 18. Having the eyes of your hearts enlightened, that you may know what is the hope to which you have been called, the hope to which he has called you, what are the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints, and what is the immeasurable greatness of his power towards us who believe, according to the working of his great might, that he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places, far above the rule and authority and power and dominion and above every name that is that is named, not only in this age, but also in the, the one to come. And he put all things under his feet and gave him as head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. I want to first go back and we want to look at verse 18. It says, having the eyes of your heart enlightened, right? The eyes of your hearts. And as we seek to know more of God, you know, there is a change that happens in the way that we perceive things. There is an eye in our heart. Do you know that? Because what goes through our eyes and the experiences that we have are perceived in our hearts. So there's actually an eye of our heart. It's how we see things, how we perceive things, how we perceive and understand things to be. When we start to know God, it, it changes. As we know God more, things in our hearts start to change 
and how we see things start to change, right? When I first saw American football, I immigrated to the States when I was seven years old. And I remember like when I was like in third grade, I saw American football for the first time, and I was the most confusing thing I've ever seen, right? It just looked like a bunch of guys dressed up like soldiers, right? Like I couldn't even see the ball, and I just saw them like running into each other, right? And now, once in a while, I see this ball fly, and then sometimes they would kick it, and sometimes they would like run with it. I'm like, what the heck is going on? That's how I think about rugby. So I still don't know rugby. Like rugby to me is this, this is like this. I don't know rugby, right? I, I'm sorry, but to me back then, American football is very confusing, right? Right? You really don't like if you if if you took like uh, like some 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 dude that never has seen American football and you put this game in front of them, they'd be like, what is going on? I have no one. There's so many rules and intricacies to the game that you don't understand. That once you start to know and understand, right, you start to understand American football, and then you start to realize, oh, like, that's a touchdown. That's seven points, right? Or that's a touchdown. That's six points. And then they kick the ball. That's that's seven points, right? And you start to understand, like, like you 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 understand, like, like when they catch the ball, that's a good thing. But then when the other team catches the ball, it's a bad thing, right? You start to realize, and then as you go more deeply into the understanding of this game, then you, you start to understand the defenses. You understand that when they line up this way, right, they have this many defensive backs, and they have this many linemen, and they have this many people that are going to cover the. And then you start to really understand the game, and you start to know, and, and you perceive things differently. When I first saw the game, I just looked like they were just run, they were guys running together and just hitting each other. And as I start to really understand and know the game, I realized, like, I started to see the game differently. Right? I started to see these things that they're doing is like, it's very important within this game. And it's the way that we are is when, when we start to know more about God and when we start to really have a heart and, 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 and God starts to change our hearts, things that we see in this world changes. The way that we see things changes. One of the things about how God transforms us, especially regarding our sinfulness, is how we perceive and understand sin. Now, trying not to sin and hating sin are very different. They come from completely different areas of our being. The first one comes from rationalism, right? It's like, oh, like I, I don't, I don't want to sin. I'm going to try not to sin. The, the second one, hating sin, comes from conviction. It comes from completely different areas of our thinking and our understanding. Loving God so much that we hate sin and its effects is very different than not wanting to get caught or feel shame. There are completely different motivations and shows completely different positions of our hearts. And what Paul is talking about is allowing our knowledge of God to transform our hearts in a way that we our hearts start to perceive things differently in this world. Not because of the way that somebody had taught you to see things differently, but because of the relationship that you have with God, it starts to affect our hearts. And then now we, the eyes of our heart is aligned and we see things differently. It's what John talks about in John, 1 John 3. I'm going to read it to you guys, right? Why don't you guys turn to 1 John 3? For those of you guys that can turn to 1 John 3 really quickly, I want to read it to you guys, right? This is in the ESV. Everyone who makes a practice of sinning also practices lawlessness. Sin is lawlessness. You know that he appeared in order to take away sin, and in him there is no sin. No one who abides in him keeps on sinning. 
No one who keeps on sinning has either seen him or known him. Little children, let no one deceive you. Whoever practices righteousness is righteousness, as he is righteous. Whoever makes a practice of sinning is one of the devil. For the devil has been sinning from the beginning. The reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy the works of the devil. No one born of God makes a practice of sinning, for God's seed abides in him, and he cannot keep on sinning because he has been born of God. By this it is evident who are the children of God and who are the children of the devil. Whoever does not practice righteousness is not of God, nor is the one who does not love his brother. When I first read this a long time ago, right, when I was young, I felt very condemned. I read this and I was like, I am of the devil. But you have to read this with biblical insight, right? Because if not, if you don't really read it in the way, like, in, in, in context, it seems very legalistic. It seems like if I'm struggling with sin, I'm the devil. And if I am of God, I never sin. Right? That's what it kind of sounds like, right? But we have to look at the words practice of, right? Those of God cannot make a practice of sinning. Meaning when we know God, God starts to work in us, and we know Him in, in, and His ways, it, we abide in God. Abide in God means to like remain in Him. He, we are within God and we're continuing to remain in His presence. And we start to understand that God hates sin. And we cannot go on and live a life continually, knowingly, think it's right to celebrate sin. Because these are all definitions of the original Greek word for practice. Right? We can't just go on and practice and celebrate sin. Because this, the definition on the Greek it, that best fits this is to act rightly to do well or to celebrate, right? So we can't be born-again believers of God and still think that it's okay to sin. Still think that, like, in our minds and in our hearts, it's like, you know what? I can just, I can, I'm a Christian, but I can still, like, nothing is, with me living this sinful lifestyle, there's nothing really wrong with it. And if you look at it, the world is actually becoming more and more like this, right? The world is, like, picking sin and saying, like, it's normal. It's the way that things should be. So we can't be a believer, say that we know God, and continue to sin in a, and, and, and think sin is not wrong. Believe that sin is acting rightly to celebrate sin, sin meaning I can't be a born, true born-again believer and believe that it's okay for me to continue to sin. Right? Why? Because when God is in us, right, and God like starts to really move in us and we start to like know God and the knowledge of God starts to come in us, really, right? The way that we perceive sin changes. Right? It really does. You can't say that you know God and allow the same definition and your same understanding of sin that the world sees to be your definition of sin. It's just a natural disposition of the Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit is truly in you. Then you're going to see sin and be like, that's not right. And on the other side of the coin, if God is really in us, we are born again, we can't sin, meaning that we can't have this understanding of sin because God has changed us. He's enlightened the eyes of our hearts to start to know God more. If we truly know Him, we can't look and say sin is okay, that it's fine because He changes our perception. He changes the eyes of our hearts. And we may struggle, but we see sin differently. 
And his understanding, his wisdom, his precepts, his thinking now starts to beginning to become our understanding. And as we begin to hunger for more of God and the knowledge of God, to know him and the things of God, God begins to change the eyes of our heart and we start to see him differently. It's like we see God and we're like, wow, that's God. You know, when you like really experience God, you're like, whoa, that's God. And we really, like you feel God in your, in your heart and you're like, wow, and you're being transformed into the, into the likeness of God. You're like, wow, God is amazing. And then you look at sin and you're like, no, that's not right. Right? It's just the natural progression of us knowing God. When we know God, we're like, wow, God. And then when we see sin, we're like, no. He changes. The, he enlightens our heart. Enlightens our hearts. The eyes of our hearts. And we see and we perceive things differently. We see things not naturally, but we see things spiritually. And we see things not in a worldly way, but we see things through the kingdom, godliness, godly ways. And it's the way that God transforms our hearts. Now Paul, he lays out here in Ephesians three things that an, that an enlightened heart will perceive. Because as God comes into us and he starts to change like our hearts and, and there's a desire in us to want to know more of God, there's these things that we're, God is going to reveal to us. He's going to start to show us. God wants us to understand this. Let's look at these three things. It says that you may know what is the hope. Everybody say the hope. To which he has called you and are the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints. Say inheritance. And what is the immeasurable greatness of his power towards us who believe. Everybody say power. The hope, the inheritance, and the power. Right? As God changes and He enlightens our heart, and He's saying, like, you know what, Rian, you want to know more of me, not Caleb, but say, imagine I'm God. Rian, you want to know more of me, right? Or I want to show you more of me, and I want to, I want you to understand and realize these things that are in your life. So the first one, let's look at it. It says the hope to which we have been called. And the hope that which we have been called, it, it started before the foundation of the world. We read it earlier in the, in the earlier chapters of Ephesians, but it says that he called us even before the world was founded. Even before God made like a speck of dust, God called us into this hope. There's a hope that was planned out for us and a hope that is based in him and that what we can do, hope that he has caused that, called us into. He called us into this hope and not a hope that we can get for ourselves. Because hope based on what I can do is not very hopeful, right? That doesn't give you much hope. Imagine if I told you today, like I told you, Joshua, I'm going to do everything that is in my power to get you a wife. And somewhere down the road, I'm going to buy you a house, right? That may put hope in your heart, but you know that that's, that's not really like a hope that you can stand on. Because you know what? I'm not going to buy you a house. I can't do nothing about getting you a wife, right? right? The, the, whatever hope that I can try to instill in your life, right? Outside of the Word of God, and there's not much hope there, right? I'm a, I can say, you know what? 
Ted, I'm gonna I'm gonna try to like, you know, I'm gonna try to, you know, help you dress better and make you, you know, like, help you to cook better, and I'm gonna do everything I can to be a better husband. That it only goes as far as like what I can do, right? There really is no hope there. There's no hope that I can make for myself. There really isn't, right? And man needs hope. It's what keeps us living. And people in this world try to make hope from the things of this world. It's like, it's like a spider, how he makes a web, right? A spider thinks that his, his webbing is really strong, right? Imagine if you were a spider man and you were able to make this way, how strong this would be. Because a spider's web can support the spider's, like, his weight, even when the wind comes, it, like, doesn't break. So to us, like, if we had, if I was a spider man, and I was actually able to make this kind of webbing, I would think that this webbing is strong. And I would be like, man, I'm going to build this house. I'm going to make this house. And this, this is strong. This is the hope. This is how we build hope. And then we know that that webbing, a little kick could come around with a stick and just knock it down. It's like, whoosh. We've walked through webbing and we'd be like, ah, what's going on, right? But that's like the way that we make hope for ourselves. It's like making hope with these things that we think is so strong, but at the end of the day... Anything could just knock it right down. People, they put their hope in the things of this world, and that hope could easily crumble. They put their hope in a nation, right? Americans, who's an American here, right? There's a lot of Americans here, right? And we, we, we put, they, we put the hope in this nation, but then we see what's happening with, with Trump and so many things that's going on, and we'd be like, oh, what's going on? Right? We, we put hope in our children, right? That's a lot of pressure, guys, right? But imagine you're putting all of your hope in your child and then he, he goes up and, you know, going to prison and, and doing drugs and stealing cars, you know, like. We see people put their hope in money and their lives are controlled by it. Remember that, that $1.5 million ATM card I talked about a few weeks ago, right? That letter I got saying that, you know, it was waiting for me. Where was it waiting for me? Some airport. Like, oh, Atlantic City Airport, right? I got a letter saying that there was an Atlantic City airport. There's a there's a secret agent waiting. There's an ATM card for me to claim, right? And the and the reason I get one of these, I check. I've been checking my junk junk mail, and I get these letters like all the time, like at least once a week. And the reason why these letters continue to go out because there's actually people that fall for these schemes because there's like this desire in their heart that, whoa, if I can have this money, it'll solve everything. This is gonna be, this is my safety net. This is, this is hope. That's why people go to Vegas. Right? People go to Vegas and I'm gonna make all this money. It's, it's, that's why people play the lotto, right? The lotto will always be, because there's always people out there saying like, man, if I had this big money, it will solve all my problems. But we have to understand, the world, whatever hope that we can make in this world, it's gonna just crumble. It, 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 it ends up being nothing. But then Paul's reminding us, he's like, you know what? I want your eyes and your hearts to be open because I want you to know that you have a hope that existed even before I made this world. It's a hope that God himself called us into. He's like, you know what? I'm calling you into this hope. You don't have to do anything to get this hope. I'm going to just give you this hope. And it's not based on what we do, but it's solely based on what Christ has done. It's a hope that transcends this world, a hope that is beyond earthly rewards, a hope that has conquered death, a hope that is eternal.
Because we need hope. Hope changes the way we live. Hope changes the way that we we understand things and, and, and how we see the world. I said this in one of my sermons before, but I, I, I heard about this research project that this doctor did. His name was Dr. Richter, and it was in the, in the 60s or something. And he would get these rats, right, and he would put them in these buckets of water, and he would let them swim there, and they would see how long he could swim. And the first rat he would put in there, he'd be like, and with 15 minutes, he would drown and die, right? And then he'd be like, oh, and he did all of these different rats, and they'd be like, oh, they all would last maybe 15 minutes. Some would last longer, like an hour, right? But then he would get these, like, rats that he found in the countryside, and all these rats that actually know how to swim, right? These rats that are, like, you know, like, that are trained. These are, like, the, you know, bare grills of rats, right? They would put them in the water, and they would die even faster. They're like, ah, and they die, right? And then, but then he, he switched up the project and he got a mixture of all these rats. And then he would first, the, the second part of the experiment is he would put the rat in the water, let him swim for a little bit, and then he would rescue the, the rat. Take him out and dry him off. Blow dry him. Pet him and then put him back into his cage. And then he would take that same rat a couple of minutes later, put it back in the bucket, and then he would swim for 60 hours. That's like, that's like what, four days, right? Average of 60 hours, these rats, because the rat knew that if he waits, there's a chance of being rescued. There is a hope of being saved. And that hope would cause these rats, because you know what? Their muscles are able to probably swim that long, right? They're able to stay alive for 60 hours, and eventually when their muscles could not go on anymore, and they were just basically running out of energy in their body, they would, they would drown and die. But hope would keep them alive. We need hope as people. Hope is what keeps us going. And our hope is a hope. It says it, it, it changes the way that we see the world. It changes the way we see ourselves. And it changes the way that we see death. And death, no matter what culture you go to, right, whether it's in Africa or South America, or right, everybody, they, nobody wants to die, right? Death is something that every culture, with every personality, they don't want it. <laughs> but our hope in Christ conquered death. So that when the eyes of our hearts are enlightened, we can see a hope that sees death as conquered. Death has no power over me. doesn't mean that we go off and live like a reckless life, you know, like just wanting to die. But we live with hope. That death is not the end, but it's just the beginning. And a hope that is eternal with Christ. And that hope changes the way that we live our lives. It changes the way that we see struggles. It changes the way that we see like, like persecution. It changes the way that we see pain and sorrow. And this hope is real. Because the Holy, and the Holy Spirit within us is constantly testifying about this hope. Saying like he's taken you from darkness into his marvelous light, right? He's given you this hope. This hope, no matter how dark it is, no matter how long you've been sitting in that bucket, like, ah, I have a hope that even if you die in that bucket, Caleb, rat, you will still live. Death has no power over you. That's the hope that Paul is saying. Like, like I want your heart to be enlightened so that you can have and truly understand this hope. Because if you truly understand this hope, it's going to radically change the way you do everything. The way you do, the way you live, the way you see everything. 
So he's talking about hope. This, this, this amazing hope that God has given us even before the foundation of the earth. And then he goes on to say, what are the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints? He got, God calls us to a hope, and that hope is in Christ, through Christ. And the fulfillment or the outcome of that hope are the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints. You know, like when I get Ethan, a, Ethan will look at a toy and he'd be like, oh, he's not like I want that. Like, I need that. That has to be mine, right? That is a lack. I, I don't have, I need that. And then he'll call, ask me, he's like, buy me this. And so then I will pay for it, right? right? And I will pay for it. And then, so then the hope is like seeing that toy, but then the, the, the fulfillment of that hope is him playing with the toy. And so for the fulfillment of the hope that we have is this amazing inheritance that God says that we have in Christ. And there's different ways that people interpret this. Some say that like the, 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 the inheritance is, is Jesus inherits us as the saints. That's the inheritance. Some say that it's inheritance that we inherit from God. But no matter how you see this argument, at the end of the day, we get to take part in this inheritance either being part of the inheritance or receiving the inheritance, we're all going to end up in heaven and we're all going to enjoy the fullness of God and His glory. We the saints have gone from death to life and will be a part of this glorious eternity. God calls it glorious. He is the glorious one. So you know that it's going to be glorious, right? You know that if Gordon Ramsay said, you know what, this is really good, you know that it's actually really good, right? Or like a fat kid, right? Have you ever like eaten what a fat kid likes? It's good. I used to have this student. You remember Jenny's nephew, right? I used to have this kid in my class, and at the end of Friday, I would always take them to like to get some ice cream at the the penny jump. And we, I was like four students, we would go, and then all the kids would just pick out ice cream, and then then I forget what his name was. He would always be like, "Hey, I don't want ice cream. Could you get me these chips?" And I was like, "What are those chips?" Like, "Oh, these chips are good, man." I'd be like, all right, I'll buy him the chip. And I'd be eating him, and I'll eat it. And I'd be like, man, this is the best thing that I've ever tasted, right? Because he knows, right? He knows what tastes good, right? In the same way, God, is he's the glorious one, right? And you know that God, if he says it's going to be glorious, it's going to be glorious. And this is this gloriousness that we can't even imagine for ourselves is, is what we will inherit, or we will be a part of this inheritance. That's the... That's the, the, the the fulfillment of this hope that we have in Christ Jesus. For us to experience Him eternally and the riches of it, to have a new understanding of, of what being rich is. You know, some people put emphasis on possessions, you know, and possessions are okay, but when you become eternally minded, right? In Claudian, it says, set your minds on things above. When you start to to set our minds on eternal things, right? right? We, we, we want eternal rewards. We want eternal possessions. And Paul is saying for our hearts to be enlightened, to perceive His reward, to perceive God's reward, His destiny for us as the ultimate reward in His inheritance. And that inheritance also changes the way that we see our lives. The inheritance that we have in Christ changes the way. If we really knew, and if you really allowed yourself to truly ponder the uh, the implications of the inheritance that we have in Christ, 
It'll radically change the way that you see money. It'll change the way that you see possessions and, and your future and things. Like it, it'll change. It will put things into perspective. And then, and then Paul goes on to power and says, "What is the immeasurable power of his the greatness of his power towards us who believe?" So we have a hope that is stronger and above the world from an eternal destiny that is more glorious than anything that the world can, can offer us to partake in this in, in eternal inheritance with God. And then we can experience that inheritance now in this present age through the power of God at work towards us. The power of God that is, that is towards us now. now. God, there's a power that is towards his believers. Supernatural power that God is directing towards you, towards me, right now, as we speak. And he's saying, you know what? You have a hope, right? We, we, we can have hope in this world, but we have an inheritance. Well, you, you're not going to really receive that inheritance, right, until like Jesus comes back, right? But then you can actually experience that inheritance now through the power of God that is towards us. Meaning the hope we have in Christ isn't just for the future, for us to hold on to for the future. But there is a power that God gives us. And it's the same power that raised Christ from the dead. He's directing that power towards us now as we speak. And he's saying, you have to wake up to this. You have to understand this. He's writing to the Ephesians saying, hey, I'm praying this for you right now. I'm praying that your heart will be open, that you will want to seek after God, that you will know these truths to be true and realities in your life. You have a hope and you have an incredible inheritance. And then there's actually a power of God, the same power that raised Christ from the dead that is at work towards you, in you, and through you. And he describes this power. It says, a power that worked Christ, that worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead. This is like, a power that can conquer and defeat death right now is directed towards us. The same power that conquered death for Christ is actually at work in us. It's the power of God to conquer death for us. We, we, now, as we stand, we can have the power to not fear death. Do you guys, do you guys know that? that? Even now, as we stand right here, we have a power directed towards us, that says, you know what, you don't have to fear death. Because I've conquered death. And this is a power, and it's directed towards you. And it says, it, and seated him at the right hand in the heavenly places. The same power that placed Jesus at the right hand of God, of, is, is, it says in, in chapter 2, it says that we're also seated there with him. The power that took Jesus from death and put him eternally in God's presence Put us there with him. And this is resurrection power. This is saying that no matter what happens to us on this earth, right? No matter what we may be going through now, whenever you may be experiencing the same power that placed Jesus above all of the powers and rulers of this earth and all the demonic forces and placed him at the right hand of God has actually placed you up there with him. That in the spirit, you are seated with Christ in the heavenly. And it says we're seated with Christ and we're not, we're not there to to, to, we're co-heirs with Christ. Right? 
So he says we are co-heirs with Christ, seated in the heavenly realms. That is the power of God that is directed towards us right now. That's identity. It's understanding. This understanding is power in our lives. It says power that raised Christ far above the rule and authority and the power and dominion above every name that is named, the ruler and the authority and the power and the dominion that Paul's talking about is about the demonic forces that are out to, to, to destroy the work of God, to destroy the work of the kingdom. It says that the power that placed Jesus above that is actually directed towards us. This is, is a power within us to fight the demon, demonic realm. Whatever attack the enemy throws at us, there is a power directed towards us that can conquer any scheme of the enemy any attack of the enemy, to defeat the devil. And it says, and, and he put all things under his feet and gave him as head over all things to the church, which is his body. So through the power of God, God places Jesus above every rule and reign, everything, any and everything that is on this earth, Jesus is above that. And then he places the church underneath Jesus, saying the rule and the power that raised Christ from the dead is going to be at work in you as Jesus being the head of the church. This means that the church, there is a power at work in the church, in the body of God. You guys, you guys understand, Jesus is not coming back to earth, right, to this world, to a, a defeated bride. He's not coming back to a bride that's all like beat up, like clothes all torn, got mud everywhere, like a bloody lip, you know, like, uh, no. Jesus is coming back for a victorious bride. Jesus is coming back to a bride that understands that the church is, has power. Right? It says in the Bible, the kingdom of God is not a matter of talk, but it's a matter of what? Power. Dunamis power. There is a power at work within the church to defeat the enemy, to raise up the bride of Christ, and to present itself to Jesus as his bride. And it's going to be a glorious bride. I mean, we all want pretty wives, right? You want a pretty wife, and you guys want good-looking husbands, right? Well, Jesus, he deserves the greatest bride. And, and the church has to understand that the church, with Christ as a head, is equipped with the power that raised Christ from the dead, that conquered death, that power is at work in the church and has equipped the church to become the bride of Christ that Jesus deserves. And it says, fullness of him who fills all in all. God's plan is to basically fill this universe with himself, with his rule and reign, the rule and reign of Jesus. And he's saying, the body of Christ, he's going to use this church, he's going to use the church to fill the glory of God in this universe. There's a power that the world does not have access to. And it's a power that the world is constantly saying it doesn't exist. It's a power that entertainment is trying to ridicule. It's a power that the, the media is trying to, to undermine. But then there is a power within the the true bride of Christ that is able to fulfill what God intended to happen. 
and to become the, the ultimate bride of Christ that Jesus deserves. And con- I want to end with this. The prayer that Paul prays is what God wants for us, for us to have a heart, to want to seek him more, and in doing so that we will actually understand God's plan and his purpose for us. It's a plan of hope, a hope that's above this world, and an inheritance that is glorious, and a power that we have now, that we have access to now, that can actually change this world. A power for us to live by these truths, a power that enables us to live and die for the glory of God. Whether I live or die, it's all for the glory of God. That's the power of God at work within us. He's saying, I want you to, I want your eyes to be open to this truth. That you have a hope and you have an inheritance and you have a power that death can't defeat and a power that, that can actually help you to say, whether I die or whether I live, I do it all for the glory of God. And this is what Paul is taught, praying for us. It's kingdom mindset. You know, we are part of the kingdom of God. And Jesus came. The first, his first like real preaching, what did he preach? He said, repent for the kingdom of heaven is near. And this is all about the kingdom. And there is a mindset in the kingdom of God, right? Oh, you guys, the British monarchy and the, the, the British kingdom, there's, a, there's like a, you know, there's a certain way that they carry themselves, right? And who's British here, right? Uh, Leanne. Oh, she's in the back. Anybody else British here? There's a certain way that British people carry themselves. There's certain values that they have. There's certain things that they know are important, right? Tea. I don't know, right? But then the kingdom of God, there is a value system. There is a mindset. And this is what Paul is talking about. He's like, you know, I want your eyes and your hearts to be open to this. That this is the mindset of the kingdom. That you, you will live your life living by this incredible hope of this incredible destiny that you have and this immeasurable power that is actually working in you for you to do everything that you're called to do and to be the church, to be the bride of Christ. As we end this first chapter of Ephesians, it's clear that what God writes through the Apostle Paul is supposed to be paradigm shifting. It's supposed to actually radically shift the way that we see the world, the way we see ourselves, the way we see the universe. And that shift is from seeing everything centered around us and is seeing everything centered around God. And, and this new paradigm of like God to orchestrating and planning this before the, the, the formation and the foundation of the world is that God is the center of all of this. Everything that is happening, God is the center of it all. And we are a part of this ride with Him. For us to open our eyes and our hearts to fully understand the blessings that God calls us into, the purposes that He calls us into, and the hope and this eternal destiny, this immeasurable power and the universe is centered on God. And it all revolves around Him. But this is the amazing thing. Ephesians 1 is, is telling you this, right? He's saying, you know what? The universe is centered around God. But then He chooses you to rule and reign. That's crazy. Like the universe is surrounded and, and goes around. This amazing, huge, big, the biggest big God that can ever be 
And he chooses you. He chooses me to rule and reign. Right, the image I get is like this giant. Right? Remember Andre the Giant, right? From uh, Princess Bride. Anybody got peanut? Remember? Right? I just imagine this giant holding the hand of like this little boy. And they're walking down this path. Can you see the imagery, right? This huge giant and this little child. And, and, and I see that it's this giant God and tiny little me. And God is saying, you know what? You are not going to even, you will never even in a, in a day ever believe what I have in store for you. Like you will never fully understand what I have in store for you. But you know what? I want to I want to I want to walk this path with you. And I, and I, w- I want to do this with you. I want to rule with you. This is Ephesians one. This is what what Paul is saying. He's like, man, you will never imagine the blessings that God has, the immeasurable power, the hope, the glory that God has planned and in store for you. But then he says, this God who is the center of everything, is the center of the universe. He chooses you. He's saying, I choose you. I choose you to do this with. I choose you to walk with me through this. And we're going to go on to Ephesians 2 when I come back. But I want I want to leave you with that thought. Is that God, His heart is to open up Himself to us. And He wants to blow us away. He wants to show us how incredible his plans for us are. And that He wants to go on this journey with us. He wants to walk with us. Let's pray. Lord, we thank You for the gifts that we have in You. We thank You for the blessings that we have in You. And Lord, we thank You that You leave us on this earth not just alone to fend for ourselves, but You leave us and You put us on this earth with a hope of glory and an inheritance that's unimaginable and immeasurable power. Your power, the power of God at work within us that raised Christ from the dead. Lord, help us to open our hearts and our minds to this revelation and this truth and help us to live our lives according to this truth. Lord, may it radically change the way we see the world. May it radically change the way we see our struggles may it change the way we see everything, the way we see death. Because no, we know that the hope that you give us and, and everything that, that you have for us has conquered death, has conquered this earth. Everything is under your feet. And you say that you want to rule and reign with us, God. And so we thank you. May this truth transform us as we continue to go into your word. And may this never leave our identity of who we are in you, who we are in Christ. We thank you and we love you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.